good morning. I think even I can preach after that, maybe. So, have you felt like you've worshipped today? Amen. Thank you, Jason and praise team, for leading us in a great set of worship as we truly want to celebrate the fact that our God is not dead, that He is alive. And that is worth something celebrate. You know, in life, we celebrate a lot of things. You know, we celebrate victories on the ball field. We celebrate victories in the academic world. We celebrate victories at our job. But the greatest thing we should celebrate is the fact that Jesus is alive. There's nothing greater to celebrate than that. And I hope that you are with me on that this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be looking at Matthew 28 verses 1 through 10. I've entitled this message, The Greatest Message, The Message of Easter. I don't think there's any greater message than the message of Easter. You know, we have special days throughout the calendar year, and each special day has its own message. New Year's Day signifies the beginning of a new year. Valentine's Day is all about love. Mother's Day is all about mom. Memorial Day, we remember those who gave their life for our country. Father's Day, sorry guys, it's all about mom. July 4th, we celebrate the passage of the Declaration of Independence and declare our freedom from Britain. There's Thanksgiving, it's, it's about food, it's about family, but most importantly, a time to give thanks and to reflect on the blessings of God. We celebrate Christmas, which is very important. It's the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus, Emmanuel God with us. And this Friday, we remember Good Friday as we reflected on the suffering that Jesus went through for us and the sacrifice He made for us and the fact that Jesus died for our sins. But what about Easter. What is the message of Easter? I wonder if you did a survey and asked the question, what response would you receive? What is the meaning of Easter? Some may say the Easter bunny. Some may say the Easter eggs. But I've never understood to this day the connection between a bunny and eggs. Maybe you can explain that later. We think about Easter baskets and Easter candy. I know growing up, every Easter morning when we got up, my mom and dad had a, had a basket for us on the table filled with stuffed bunnies and filled with chocolate bunnies and filled with candy and toys and trinkets and things of that nature. I remember one Easter, I got a big pink bunny from my mom and dad. I don't know why, but it was a big pink stuffed bunny that was sitting on the table with an Easter basket. But you know, those things are elements of Easter. Some say it's about the food. I know some of you are hungry and are thinking about lunch and ham and, and deviled eggs and things of that nature. But just hold on, we'll get there. Those are all elements of Easter. But you know what? None of those are the message of Easter. So what is the message of Easter? The message of Easter, which is the greatest message the world has ever heard or will hear, can be found in Matthew chapter 28. And this morning, I'm going to share with you how the message of Easter can be summed up in four words, four imperatives, four commands from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. So let's read that this morning. It says, after the Sabbath, the first day of the week, meaning Sunday, was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb, and suddenly there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning. His robe was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken from fear of him, they became like dead men. But the angel told the women, don't be afraid, because I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. 
He is not here, for he has been resurrected just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has been raised from the dead. In fact, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them and said, Good morning. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. The first imperative I want to point out is the imperative come. In verse 5, after Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb, and an angel approached them and said, Don't be afraid, because I know who you're looking for. You're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He said, He is not here. He is risen. And then he said, Come. He said, come. You see, these women have come to the tomb of Jesus expecting to find Jesus dead. On Friday, they had watched Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sin of the world, being nailed to a cross with one spike driven through each wrist and a spike driven through his feet. They watched him suffer on that cross for six hours from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. They saw him struggle to breathe as he tried to pull himself up and gasping for air. They heard him say, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They saw Jesus take his last breath and say, it is finished. What was finished? It was his mission to give his life a ransom for many. It was his mission to give his life to pay the price for our sin. And then these women saw the Roman centurion thrust a spear into the side of Jesus and they saw blood and water pour out of his side. And they heard the confession of the centurion when he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. These women watched as his body was taken down from the cross. And it was late in the day on Friday and the Sabbath was fast approaching and and the Jews did not want to, 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 for the bodies to remain on the cross during the Sabbath, as this was the Sabbath before the Passover. And so they watched as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they took the body of Jesus, and they hurriedly prepared it for burial by wrapping it in strips of linen. And then they placed it in Joseph's new family tomb that was just recently hewn out of rock and was not far from where Golgotha was, where Jesus was crucified. And it was against Jewish law for a crucified body to be buried in a Jewish cemetery. So now these women have come back to the tomb to finish the proper burial process of the body of Jesus. And as they approached the tomb, an angel had rolled away the stone. And this is important. But I want to remind you the reason the stone was rolled away. The stone was not rolled away so Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so these women and disciples could see in. And an angel spoke to them saying this, He is not here. He has risen just as he said. When did Jesus say that? Well, if you go to John chapter 2, verses 18 to 22, very early in the ministry of Jesus, right after he turned the water into wine, which is first miracle and the first cleansing of the temple, and then in verse 18, the Jews ask him, What sign of authority will you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, Destroy the sanctuary, and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore, the Jews said, This sanctuary took 46 years to build, and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the sanctuary of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. 
Then later on in his ministry in Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 32, listen to what Jesus told his disciples. He told them this, starting in verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and rise after three days. He was openly talking about this, so Peter took him aside and tried to rebuke him. The angel very, made it very clear that what had happened is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. And then he tells them after Jesus was risen, he tells them to come. This word come is an invitation. For the women, this was an invitation to come to the tomb where they saw Joseph and Nicodemus lay the lifeless body of Jesus. And just like the angel invited the women to come, Jesus invites us to come. We tend to get excited when we receive an invitation. That means that we've been invited to go somewhere. That means we've been invited to do something. It's, it's a sign of inclusion. But in order to take advantage of the invitation, we have to do something. We have to accept it. The invitation does us no good if we do nothing with it. But the greatest invitation we've ever been given is the invitation of Jesus to come. But in order to take advantage of it, we have to do something with it. We have to receive the invitation that Jesus gives. And in Matthew, 20, in Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Jesus gives this great invitation. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, come you who are weary. Bill alluded to that this morning as he was talking about the song, King of Kings. You know, there are many of us who are wearied by life. There are many of us who are tired and worn out by life. We're weighed down, we're burdened, we're exhausted, we're burnt out, we've lost hope. And some of you here today would say, yes, I'm wearied. Yes, I'm weighed down. Yes, I don't know what to do. I'm here to tell you this morning that if Jesus is inviting you to come to Him, He's inviting you to come to the one who died on the cross and conquered death and sin for you. He's inviting you to come to the one who can forgive your sin and give you eternal life. He's inviting you to come to the one who can give you peace, the peace with God and the peace of God. He's inviting you to come to the one who can give you rest. He's inviting you to come to the one who was dead but now lives. And after Jesus said, come, you are weary, he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, a, a yoke is a wooden cross piece that was fastened over the necks of, of usually two oxen so that they could pull a cart or a plow. And Jesus is using this as a metaphor. And in the context in which he's saying it, Israel was yoked to the Mosaic law. In addition to the 613 commandments found in the Old Testament, the religious leaders added thousands of man-made laws to the God-given laws. And the religious leaders, they were weighing down the people with their self-righteous and with their legalism. And Jesus was calling, calling this a burden. He was calling this a, a heavy yoke. But in Matthew 11, in the verse we just read, Jesus is inviting people out of this burden yoke into his yoke, which is not a yoke of legalism, but a yoke of grace and a yoke of mercy. You see, many of us are wearied and burdened. We're weighed down by what we're carrying in life. Maybe we're weighed down by our sin. Maybe we're weighed down by 
the sins and lifestyles of others. Maybe we're weighed down by the circumstances of life, but whatever is weighing you down, Jesus is inviting you to come to Him and to take your burden from you. But here's the key. In order for Him to take it from you, you have to give it to Him. Jesus can't take your burden from you if you're not willing to give it to Him to take. You may be weighed down by sin. You see, following Jesus frees you from carrying the burden of your own sin because Jesus has already done that for you by His completed work on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. For what reason? So that we might become the righteousness of God. Through what Jesus did on the cross, he took our sin upon himself. And he says, you know what? I'm going to take your sin. I'm going to make the greatest exchange in the history of the world. I'm going to take your sin, your past, present, and future, and I'm going to give you my righteousness so that you can be found blameless in the sight of God. If you're weighed down by your sin today, I want you to think about when's the last time you came and gave it to Jesus. Maybe you're weighed down by the circumstances of life. You know, we live in a world that's broken. We live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that is opposed to everything that is of God, of Scripture, and of Jesus. So what do we do when we're weighed down by the circumstances of life? You know what? We claim the promises of God. And one of the greatest promises is found in 1 Peter 5, 7. When Peter wrote, Cast all your cares upon Him, meaning God, because why? Because He cares for you. And Peter didn't say cast some of your cares. He said cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because Jesus cares for you. Jesus cares about what you're going through. Jesus cares about the battles you're facing. Jesus cares about what is weighing you down. And this morning Jesus is inviting you to put that down and to give it to him. Why? Because as he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And with Christ by our side, he can lift those heavy burdens off your back and he can place them on his. And this is exactly why Jesus went to the cross for us. And when Jesus went to the cross, he carried your burden of sin and my burden of sin and he carried our shame and our guilt and took it upon himself. But for your burden of sin to be lifted, you have to accept his invitation of salvation. And for Jesus to carry our burdens of life, we have to come to Him and give them to Him and accept His invitation to quit trying to bear the burdens of life alone, understanding that nothing is too heavy for Jesus. And the only reason we can come to Jesus in these ways is because He rose from the dead. The only reason we can come to Jesus in these ways is because the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. If Jesus had died for us but never rose again, we would still be lost and without hope and dead in our sins. Listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, which is a great passage about the resurrection and the importance and significance. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 13 and 14 and verse 17. Paul wrote, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is without foundation, and so is your faith. Verse 17, he says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. The resurrection didn't happen. If the tomb wasn't empty, if Jesus wasn't alive, we'd be lost and we'd be without hope and we would be condemned to hell forever. 
But because Jesus is alive, hope is alive. You see, the linchpin of our faith, the foundation of our faith, what holds our faith together is not the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus is important, but it doesn't hold our faith together. It's not the death of Jesus. It is the resurrection of Jesus that holds our faith together, and our faith rises and falls on whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. Someone said the cradle and the cross are of little value without the resurrection, but the cradle plus the cross plus the resurrection equals salvation. You see, because the tomb is empty, death, hell, and sin or the grave are defeated. And we have salvation through Jesus. And as we sang this morning, we have victory in Jesus. So coming to Jesus, this is in your notes on the point of application. Coming to Jesus is not a sign of weakness. Coming to Jesus is a sign of wisdom. The wisest thing you can do is to come to Jesus. Because no one or nothing can do for you what Jesus has done, is doing, or will do for you. No one can forgive your sin. No one can give you eternal life. No one can give you hope. No one can give you peace or rest or joy except our Lord and Savior, the risen Jesus Christ. So it's not foolish to come to Jesus. I would say it's foolish to not come to Jesus. And if you've never accepted Jesus' invitation to come and to have your sins forgiven and to have a relationship with Him, I want you to seriously consider and I want to encourage you to accept his invitation to come to him this morning. And if you've accepted his invitation to come to him, I want to encourage you that once you've come to Jesus, don't stop coming to Jesus. Always come to Jesus. Why? Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The second imperative is see. The angel not only told the women to come, he also told them to see. The reason he wanted them to come to the tomb was to see that it was empty. You know, see means to perceive. See means to comprehend. It means to grasp. The angel wanted the women to see and to grasp for themselves and to comprehend for themselves that the tomb was empty. To see that Jesus was not there. To see that Jesus was no longer dead and to see that he had risen. Have you ever had anybody tell you something and you didn't believe it and they say, well, go and see for yourself? This is what is happening here. The angel is telling them, go and see for yourself that the tomb is empty and that Jesus is alive. Notice he didn't say, go and look or come and look. There is a difference between looking and seeing. We look at thousands of things every day. But you can look at something and you can never see it. Have you looked for something in the refrigerator or the garage and you know it's there, but you don't see it? And you say, I don't see it. And someone says, well, I know it's there. And you still can't find it. And the worst thing that happened happens, they come and point it out to you. And you were looking right at it and they say, see, I told you so. And if it was a snake, it would have bitten you. My wife tells me that all the time. I know it's there. I saw it. You know what? Usually she's right. She did see it. And I was looking straight at it and I never saw it. There's a difference between looking and seeing. You see, when we see and not just look, our vision is focused. And what we're looking at has our attention, and we grasp it, and we comprehend it with our minds. And just like the angel wanted the women to see and comprehend that the tomb was empty, God wants us to see that the tomb is empty. He wants us to grasp it. He wants us to comprehend it. 
He wants us to understand that Jesus is not dead, but that Jesus is alive. And when you grasp and believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you know what it does? It changes everything. It validates who Jesus is. The resurrection validates the fact that Jesus said he is the Son of God and and he was the Son of God. It validates what Jesus did. The resurrection validates what Jesus did on the cross. The resurrection validates the identity of Jesus. But it also changes us. It changes our spiritual condition. Because the tomb is empty, we can go from death to life. It changes your life forever. It changes your eternal destiny from hell to heaven. And that can only happen if you come and see and believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, in the video we watched at the beginning of the service, it it referred to the resurrection day as a day that changed the world. And that is so true. But if you paid attention and read the last few words of the video, it said this. It said, it can change you Two, nothing in this world can change you like Jesus. And the only reason Jesus can change you and transform you is because of his crucifixion and because of his resurrection. So seeing the empty tomb was not a sign of hopelessness, but it was a sign of hopefulness. That's the second point of application. You know, in the sunrise message this morning, I mentioned usually if something is empty, it's usually not a good thing. It's usually an inconvenience. If there's an empty milk jug in the refrigerator after you poured your milk of cereal, that's not good. Or your bowl of cereal. If you have an empty bank account, that's not good. If you have an empty gas tank and not near a gas station, that's not good. If you have an empty glass at a restaurant, especially for me, that's not good. But in this case, empty wasn't a bad thing. In this case, empty was a good thing. And not only was it a good thing, it was a great thing. Because the empty tomb meant that Jesus was alive. It meant that Jesus kept his word. It meant that there was life after death because Jesus put death to death. And because of the empty tomb, the situation was no longer hopeless. But now the situation was hopeful. And unlike Buddha and Muhammad and Joseph Smith and Confucius and every other human being who died and are still dead, Jesus died and Jesus lives. John Stott said, we live and die, but Jesus died and lives. And because Jesus is alive, we can live, we can know him, we can speak with him, we can have a relationship with him. And God wants each one of us this morning to come and see him. He wants us to see that the one who died for you and is alive desperately wants you to come to him and see him for who he is and what he did for you. And coming to Jesus shouldn't be the last thing that we do. It should be the first thing that we do. You know, I've heard people say, I'm going to try all these other things first. You know, I'm going to try it my way. And if my way doesn't work, then I'll I'll try Jesus. Let me try. Save you some trouble and some heartbreak and some disappointment. Try Jesus first and I promise you, you'll never look back. Try Jesus first and you'll never be disappointed. Everything else in the world disappoints, but Jesus does not. The world is full of turmoil, but Jesus is full of peace. The world is full of hopelessness, but Jesus is full of hope. In fact, He is our only hope.
So I ask you this morning, do you truly see Jesus for who he is and what he did for you? Do you comprehend and grasp that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God who was born on Christmas Day in that manger, in that stable? He's the one that lived the sinless life. He's the one that performed all those miracles. He's the one that was willing to go down to the cross and lay down his life for us and be nailed to the cross and suffer for us and sacrifice for us. Do you really see Jesus like that? Or do you just look at Jesus? You see, it does no good for you to look at Jesus and do nothing with Jesus. It just does you no good to think of Jesus as a good man, to think of Jesus as a good teacher, to, te to look at Jesus as a, as a prophet that does no good. That means that you really don't see Jesus, you're just looking at him. You see, if you really want to see Jesus for who he is, you need to do something with him. What if the women who went to the tomb would have looked at anything to the tomb and done nothing else? What if they would have simply said, that's nice. I'm glad he's no longer dead. I'm glad the tomb is empty. What if that's all that they had done? It wouldn't have made any difference. And for us, just looking at Jesus, just acknowledging Jesus doesn't give you any hope. It doesn't make any difference in your life. But if you want to have hope, and you want Jesus to do something in your life and transform in your life, you have to do something with him. You have to do more than look at him. You have to see Jesus for who he is and believe in him for what he's done for you. The third imperative is go. Look at verse 7 of Matthew chapter 28. In verse 7, after the angel had told him he's not here, he's, been re he's resurrected, come and see the place where he lay. Verse 7, he says, go quickly. He says, go quickly. The third imperative is go. The angel warned the women to see the tomb was empty. He wanted them to understand that Jesus was no longer dead and grasp the fact that he was alive. But he didn't want them to simply stand there and to stare at the tomb. Now that they saw the evidence that Jesus' body was no longer there and they understood Jesus was alive, they were to do something. They were to go. And the Greek word for go in this instant means to go with purpose. It's not simply to leave, but to leave with a purpose. The purpose of their going was to go to the disciples and testify to them that the tomb was empty and that Jesus had risen from the grave. You see, when we see the empty tomb and we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, there is more to do. We just don't come and see. We are to go also. We are to go with Jesus. We are to go for Jesus. We are to go to Jesus. We are to go and learn more about Him. Once you give your life to Christ, you are to never be satisfied with your understanding of God and His Word. We are always to desire more and more of Jesus. We are never to get enough of Jesus and His Word. We're to always say, God, I want more of you. God, I want to know you more. 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18, Peter wrote, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. If you come to Christ, you need to desire to go in Christ. 
so you can become more like Christ. There's a theological word for that that's called the process of sanctification. It's becoming more and more like Christ every day. It's, it's maturing into the knowledge and the fullness of Jesus Christ. And why do we need to grow? Why do we need to mature in our understanding of God and His Word? Peter told us, so we'll be grounded in our faith and not be deceived and fall away from our faith. You see, there are many who have come to Jesus and have seen Jesus and even given their life to Jesus. But then they've walked away from Jesus because they've been deceived by the world. They've been fed lies and they believed them. Why? Because they didn't know what the Word of God said. See, if you come to Christ, you should desire to grow in Christ so you will not fall away from your faith, but so you will grow in your faith. We're also to go to the Lord in prayer. God encourages us to talk to Him. Prayer is the lifeline of our relationship with God. It's how we communicate with God. And the reason that we can talk to Jesus is because He is not dead. You ever tried to talk to a dead person? It doesn't work very well. Some of you wives are saying, yeah, I talk to my dead husband all the time. They never respond. But you know what? The only reason we can talk to Jesus is because he is not dead. And Scripture, in fact, says that he's now sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. That's what Romans 8.34 says, that, that Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, sat at the right hand of the Father. For what purpose? To intercede on our behalf. Our Savior became our intercessor. And he wants us to talk to him. And we are to pray without ceasing. What does that mean? That we are to be in a constant attitude of prayer. Not, we are not to pray just sometimes. We are to pray all the time. We are not just to pray for some things. We are to pray for all things. Philippians 4, 6 says, Don't worry about anything. But in everything, with prayer and supplication and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Do you realize that you can take anything to God in prayer? There is no problem and no concern that is too small for God. And there is no problem and no concern that is too big for God. God wants us to communicate with Him. God wants us to come to Him in prayer. We're also to go and let Jesus live through us. Once we come to Jesus and see Jesus, we're to walk with Jesus. And that means that you and God are in agreement about your life. It means that your life aligns with God's character and your life aligns with God's word. That means that you live according to his ways and not the world's ways or your ways. It means that you do his will and not your will. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet the life I live, now, I live in the, the flesh, I now live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, when we give our life to Christ, we need to realize that we are now committing ourselves to live the life that Jesus wants us to live and not the life that we want to live. Our life is no longer ours but his. In fact, Paul said that we were bought with a price. What was that price? It was the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And when we come to Jesus and go with Jesus, we are to live a life of faith, not a life of feeling, not a life of emotion. And we need to say, Lord, have your way in me and allow him to shape us and mold us as he pleases and sees fit. 
We're also to go to church and encourage one another as we live in a world that opposes Christ. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, I think there's a lot of people today who don't think they need church. There are even a lot of Christians who say, well, church, church isn't really that important. Before you say you don't need church or church isn't important, I want you to think of how important the church was to Jesus. The church was and is so important to Jesus that he died for the church. Jesus suffered and gave his life for the church. And if you have given your life to Christ, you should desire to be part of the church because of the price that Jesus paid for the church. And if Jesus hadn't died and rose again, the church would be useless. If Jesus hadn't died and the tomb wasn't empty, there'd be no point in church. There'd be no point in worship. There'd be no point in preaching or teaching or ministry or missions or discipleship or prayer. In fact, in the verse I read earlier, 1 Corinthians 15, 17, Paul said our faith would be futile if Jesus did not rise from the dead. And finally, we are to go and tell others about Jesus. We're to tell others that the tomb is empty. We're to tell others that Jesus lives. We are to go and call those around us to give their lives to a living Jesus who loves them and gave his life for them. You know, in the month of March, we did an evangelism emphasis, and we talked about the Great Commission that Jesus told us as we live our lives, as we go, we are to make disciples. And before Jesus ascended to heaven in Acts 1-8, he told his disciples that were standing before him, said, power is going to come in the Holy Spirit, and you are to be my wit, excuse me, my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We are to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, and we are to tell others how Jesus has changed our life. You see, we are to go and do all these things. We are to learn about Him. We are to pray to Him. We are to live for Him. We are to be involved in church. We are to tell others about Him. But we are not to do it out of obligation. We are to do it out of obedience and love. And that's the third point of application. You see, because our obedience and our faithfulness to God, it reveals our love for God. When we are faithful to God, when we are obedient to God, it shows that we truly love Him. And if you love Jesus, you will obey Him by going to Him, by going with Him, and by going for Him. John, uh, Jesus, as He was meeting with His disciples in the upper room before His arrest, and He was praying with them and for them, He told them this. He said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with Him. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So we are to go with God and for God and live for God, not out of obligation, not because we think we have to, but because we want to, and showing our love for God and what he did for us. And finally, the fourth and final imperative is tell. Look at verses 7 through 10 of Matthew 29 or 28. He says, then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead. In fact, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. And just then Jesus met them and said, good morning. 
They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. The fourth and final imperative is tell. Jesus said, come. Jesus says, see. Jesus says, go. And now he says, tell. The angel told the women to go and tell the disciples what they had witnessed. You know what they were to share? They were to share the message of Easter. They were to share the message that the tomb was empty, that Jesus, who was crucified and buried, had risen. And in verse 8, it says, They hurried from the tomb, filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. You know what that tells me? That they didn't dread telling the disciples the tomb was empty. They were delighted to tell the disciples the tomb was empty. They were thrilled and they were excited because they didn't have good news, bad news. They had good news and they had great news. You know, we dread sharing bad news. When something that we consider bad happens in our lives, we don't like to share it, we dread it. But you know what? When it comes to sharing great news and good news, we love sharing great news. We love sharing with others the good things that are happening in our lives. But there is no greater news to share than the news that the tomb is empty And that Jesus is alive and through his death and resurrection he conquered death by putting death to death. And I think of 1 Corinthians 15 at the end of the the passage where Paul was talking about the resurrection. The last few verses of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul wrote this. And we sang about it this morning. Death has been swallowed up in victory in verse 44. Verse 55, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the message of Easter. That the tomb is empty, that death is defeated. And we have victory in Jesus because he rose from the dead. And you know for us who've given our life to Jesus, sharing the message of Easter shouldn't be dreadful. Sharing the message of Easter should be delightful. We should be excited to share Jesus with others. We should be excited to tell others the difference that Jesus has made in our life and tell them the same difference that he can make in theirs. You know, there's a song called What a Beautiful Name. And the bridge of that song goes like this. It says, death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silence the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. You know, this is a great description of the greatest event in the history of the world. That changed the world on that first Easter morning. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And some may say, well, I thought it was the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus was significant, but as I mentioned earlier, without the resurrection of Jesus, the birth and even the crucifixion of Jesus wouldn't matter. Someone put it like this, Christmas is the promise of Jesus, Easter is the proof of who Jesus is. And I think that's a great way of putting it. The coming of Jesus as a baby in a manger, that was the promise from the Old Testament. The Messiah would come and be born of a virgin and be born in Bethlehem. That's the promise that happened. But Easter is the proof of who Jesus said he was. It validated his claims and his identity 
as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the Lamb who came to take away the sin of the world. But Easter is not only the day of the greatest event. It's also the day with the greatest message that Jesus triumphed over death. It's only because of the resurrection and the empty tomb that we can come to Jesus and see Jesus for who he is and what he's done. It's only because of the resurrection that we can go to Jesus and with Jesus and tell others about him and what he did for us. It's only because of the resurrection of Jesus that death is defeated, that the power of sin is broken, and the forgiveness of sin and eternal life are available to all who put their faith and trust in him. If it wasn't for the resurrection, none of these things would be possible. The message of Easter is the only message that can change your life. It's the only message that can change your eternal destination. It's the only message that provides hope in this life. It's the only message that provides hope for eternal life. And may we never forget the significance of Easter morning. May we never forget that the tomb is empty and that Jesus is alive. And we are to come and see, and we are to go and tell. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word this morning. Father, we're so thankful for the truth of your word. Father, we're so thankful for what Jesus came and did for us. Yes, God, we're thankful that he was born, Lord, in that manger. Father, that he was born as the Messiah, the Son of God, as was promised in the Old Testament. God, we're thankful for the sinless life he lived. We're thankful for the fact that he went to the cross for us. And God, we're thankful that that he was willing to stay on the cross for us. He could have come down and saved himself, but he chose to stay on the cross so he could save us. But Father, we're thankful that the story doesn't end there. We're thankful that, that Jesus rose on the third day. Father, we're thankful that Jesus is alive and we're thankful that the tomb is empty and that because of what Jesus did and because the tomb is empty that we have victory over death we have victory over hell we have victory over sin God and we have victory over the grave Father this is the message of Easter God this is the greatest message and the greatest story that's ever been told and Father because Jesus is alive hope is alive and Father we're thankful that that not is only Easter to the greatest day in the history of the world. God is the only day that can truly change our lives. And Father, if there's someone here this morning who hasn't come to you, I pray they would come to you and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Father, I pray that maybe someone's eyes was open this morning to, to see who you really are, to see what you did for them. And Father, for those of us who've come and seen the empty tomb and given our life to you, Father, I pray that we would desire... Father, to walk with you and to live for you and to go with you. And Father, I pray that we would desire to tell others about you so they can experience the same forgiveness and the same love that we've experienced. And so, Father, they can have the guarantee of eternal life like we do. Father, we love you this morning, and we truly want to celebrate you. And Father, we thank you that Jesus paid it all for us. He gave himself completely to us, Father. He became like one of us so we could become like him. And Father, we just thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. 
Father, work in the hearts and lives this morning and draw people to yourself. And Father, it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.